Hello everybody, uh, I'm Kia Ora. Uh, today is the first webinar in a two-part series uh, to present the newly updated guide to road safety. Uh, we will explain how to use the guide and outline key points uh, for each of the new parts. We have more than 700 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, uh, Dr. Tana Tan, Research and Evaluations Lead from Safe Systems uh, Solutions. So first of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to eldest past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Mary as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Road Safety and Design Program which is managed by Michael Newstick. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, so our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report and the slides today's presentation is based on can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any stage during the webinar. Uh, if your question relates to any particular slide, uh, just include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question uh, the best as we can. You can also use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, uh, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing the browser and rejoining the session via your registration link usually helps. The session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available uh, on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find Ostrots in your podcast app. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, uh, Dr. Tana Ten and Ken Beer. We will first hear from uh, Tana. He has over 10 years experience as a researcher, project manager, consultant and trainer. He has authored several peer-reviewed papers uh, on vehicle safety and has conducted evaluations um, of road safety treatments such as shared paths, uh, protected roundabouts uh, and audio tactile line marking. Tana also conducts training and capacity building domestically and overseas. And our second presenter is Ken Beer. Ken is a registered professional engineer, uh, accredited senior road safety auditor, transport planner, trainer and assessor. He has 20 years experience in road safety engineering, planning, policy and strategy development. Ken is one of Australia's most active safe system practitioners and trainers, and has delivered many projects, um, including safety strategies for local and state government, business cases for TAC, road safety audits, um, and safe system assessments. So welcome to our presenters, um, and it is uh, now over to you, Tana. Thank you, Ekaterina. Here we go. Yep, that should work. Fantastic. Thank you, Ingeterna, for the uh, the warm welcome, and uh, I'd like to extend uh, my warm welcome to everyone who has joined us today as well. Um, so I'd like to introduce the project team for this uh, Osroads project, uh, which presented on the slide. 
So this project was uh, led by James Holgate from Martin Small Consulting. Um, on the right-hand side of your screen, you'll see the uh, working group uh, from Osroads, uh, consisting of a number of individuals from right around Australia as well as New Zealand. Um, and this project was delivered to Osroads by a team at Safe System Solutions, uh, who were then supported by um, a team from Abley. So over the next few slides, I'd just like to walk you through the uh, key background information to this project. There were two aims for this project. Firstly, is to update the Osroads Guide to Road Safety from published Osroads research material, Osroads guides, as well as Australian standards. Secondly, it was to restructure the AGRS to make use of the new Osroads website and to make it easier as well as faster for future content to be added. This project was performed in two phases, which is reflected on the slide. In phase one, the updated was performed on the old AGRS structure um, with the above resources. So as you can see, they are predominantly from Osroads uh, research reports, uh, a number of guides, as well as some external reports, such as that from the uh, such as that of the National Inquiry to Road Safety, the National Road Safety Strategy from 2011-2020, noting that this project was uh, commenced within during that period and also the towards safe system structure or compendium of current knowledge. Phase two was a restructure of the AGRS, um, which was formed after the update had occurred. A number of options were considered by the team. However, the decision on the structure uh, is reflected in what you see today um, and basically aims to align the AGRS with the safe system. Focus the users. Uh, fo the focus is also on the users of the guide, so that they can find information fairly easily and quickly. And as mentioned earlier, to allow for future content to be uh, added quickly um, to the AGRS. So the form AGRS uh, contains a total of nine parts. Um, noting that part six and six A has been greyed out as a, uh, they're part of a separate project, um, and the other nine parts are. All nine parts are shown on the screen. The new AGRS contains a total of seven parts. Again, six part six and six are been created out as a part of a separate project. And as you can see here, part one is the introduction um, to the guide as well as introduction to safe system. Part two, three, four, and five reflect the safe system pillars that is, safe roads, safe speed, safe people, safe vehicles. And part seven is a, uh, it contains road safety strategy and management. I will note that as we present um, the, uh, the AGRS, that we um, won't be able to go into a substantial amount of detail into each of the parts, um, but we will provide to you an overview of what's contained in parts. So hopefully this will make it easy for you to find the content that you're after, and also highlight some new information in each of the parts as well. Um, but before we um, go to the content, what I'd like to do is to ask the audience to participate in a quick poll. Um, now that I've given you a very brief overview of the AGRS, however, I know some of you have already downloaded the, the new document. Would you like to know which of the new AGRS part are you most likely to use? 
The poll should be on people's screen now, Tanner, uh, and they should be able to select uh, the path that they are most likely to use in this new structure, safe roads, safe speed, safe people, safe vehicles, or road safety strategy and management. Uh, and if you'd like to select more than one, uh, you can do that. Uh, uh, but uh, we're trying to look for which of the parts are most likely to be used by the audience of today's session. So we'll give that a couple more seconds. I can see lots of people are um, attacking the poll, which is great to see. Um, and we'll be able to um, stop that shortly and, and see what the results are. And it looks like the voting is slowing down. So I'm going to close that off. In three, two, one, closing that, and I'm going to share the results. Uh, and let's have a look, Tanner. Hopefully, that's popped up on your screen. It has. It certainly has, and it's uh, it's a very interesting result. Um, prior to this presentation, Ken and I were actually having a discussion on what of what parts are going to poll most highly. And uh, we did predict that's going to be safe roads as well as safe speeds that would get the, uh, the most votes. Um, and this poll certainly has indicated that. Um, and in a sense, it's actually not, uh, not too surprising because traditionally the Osroads Guide to Road Safety has focused very much on, on safe roads and safe speeds, um, as we'll explore uh, through the presentation. Um, so this is actually really interesting to, to, to have that feedback um, come back to us. But what is also really interesting as well is that um, the last part, which is road safety strategy and management, has pulled quite strongly as well. So it's good to know that that part is of value to to, uh, to users and also to the audience today. So we'll certainly keep that in mind um, as we progress uh, with updating the AGS. So thank you very much for that. And um, I'll now go back to my slides. Give me for one second while I try to uh, retrieve control. Okay, we can see that now, Tanner. It's moved on to the. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Sorry about that glitch. Um, so this um, image here is what you will see uh, in e at the start of each of the new parts. What it really highlights here is that the four pillars of the safe system, uh, which are in the small circles, part two, part three, part four, and part five, um, are all interlinked. And we do encourage users to read them um, as such. That is, there is an overlap on them. So please don't focus on just one part, but do, uh, we do encourage you to read other parts as well. So for example, if you are reading part two on safe roads, uh, it does certainly have an overlap with safe people and how people read the road. Um, and likewise with vehicles as well, how vehicles actually do read the road. And we'll go into that in a bit more detail uh, when we get to part five. However, encircling all the four um, pillars um, uh, is also part one, which is the introduction to the AGRS as well as an introduction to the safe system um, and also part seven which focuses on road safety strategy and management so i'd now like to hand over the presentation to uh, ken beer who will walk you through part one 
part two and part three. Thank you, Tana, and welcome to everybody. Uh, as Tana mentioned, this is very much a session to sort of map you through the new structure of the guide. Uh, so unfortunately, we're not gonna have time to delve into a lot of detail on any of the specifics within the guide. We did request a, a 10 day webinar, but unfortunately, uh, Austroads uh, said no to that and gave us the one hour to broadly talk about the, um, the, the structure of the guide and, and, and what's in them. Uh, so we can uh, go into further detail on the content uh, in other sessions. So I'm just gonna run through each of the, uh, the first three parts uh, at a very high level. Part one, as Tana mentioned, is the introduction uh, and the safe system. So it's taken some of the information out of the old part one, five and eight. Uh, so that's the um, road safety overview part, the um, road safety for regional and remote areas and the treatment of cash locations. So small parts of what was covered in those has been moved over to the new part one and updated. Uh, and then quite a bit of other uh, source information uh, has been brought into this uh, new guide. So the, the contents of, of this part, you do have that general introduction you've got some delving into the safe system. Uh, so what is the safe system, the pillars or elements of the safe system, that transition uh, to a safe system uh, and how things are different compared to the traditional way of approaching road safety under a safe system approach uh, and sort of talking about national road safety strategies and the safe system philosophy. There's also then in here a section on transport agencies' responsibility for road safety management and measurement. Some really key aspects of this part one uh, is that signposting to how the new Guide to Road Safety series works uh, and where the information can be found in those seven parts. The concise summary of the safe system approach to road safety in this part uh, is, is there. And it's really important, I think, that we have that uh, and it is used consistently uh, in other projects uh, within, in, within industry and road authorities. So it, it's a great uh, thing that we've got that concise summary there for people to grab and put into other documents. Uh, some Further clarification on the roles, responsibilities, legal liability uh, of transport and road agencies with respect to road safety, uh, and common methods for measuring road safety performance. Uh, and this goes above and beyond simply the crash numbers uh, and the numbers of deaths and serious injuries. Uh, now that is our ultimate measure of road safety performance, but uh, underneath that we can have a huge variety of key performance indicators within the transformation of a network uh, and a transformation of a system as a whole. So it delves into key performance indicators and how we can measure different aspects of the system to understand uh, what the result will be uh, in terms of road safety outcomes in that ultimate measure being fatal and serious injuries on the network.
for each of these parts, as we go through, we're going to flag some opportunities for future. Tanner mentioned there that there's um, a lot of keenness from Austroads to be very active in updating these parts to the Austroads Guide to Road Safety Suite uh, frequently uh, and as new information emerges uh, and it's, so it's kept up to date very quickly uh, and, and promptly. Uh, and a few immediate opportunities for part one, a further consideration of movement and place within the safe system. Uh, so it's identified in the current part one now, uh, but a lot more could be done in, in further consideration there. Another aspect uh, is further analysis of the interactions between the elements or pillars um, of the safe system. Uh, we know that it's a very interacting system. Uh, it's not these silos operating by themselves. So uh, we can provide more detailed information about that. Uh, and a whole of system thinking. So I'll jump on to part two. And now part two came out there as the one that the majority of people at this stage would be jumping into to looking at. Uh, and probably as we sort of continue to build these parts, uh, we've, we've set this one up quite well to start with uh, in the fact that it has a huge amount of information. This is the biggest part by a long shot. This has 300 odd pages of information. Uh, we may be in future stages of this um, consolidating it down, uh, but for now there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of information in there and it contains things from the old part three, part five, part eight and part nine. So that's the uh, roadside hazard management, treatment of crash locations, uh, road safety for rural and remote areas, speed limits and speed management. So some of the sections of that have been brought in, updated. Uh, there's also been a heavy reliance on a few other uh, published Austroads bits of work, such as the uh, Towards Safe System Infrastructure, the compendium of current knowledge. And that one was done by uh, Jeremy Woolley, Chris Stokes, Chris Jurovich and Blair Turner. And it's a a wonderful resource and so it's taking that information out of the research report and, and translating it into guidance uh, information. Uh, so there's a lot of that in there and, and also drawing information from uh, quite a few other parts uh, of research uh, and guidance documents. The contents of this one now, uh, there's quite a bit in there, as I mentioned, uh, including discussion about reactive uh, versus proactive approaches to road safety. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in the next slide. There's a lot about uh, crash data, uh, identification of uh, crash locations and crash risk locations, uh, diagnosing problems and treatment selection, economic appraisal methods, monitoring evaluation, uh, prepare, uh, preparing of crash reports, uh, and then some discussion around harm minimization at intersections uh, and for high-speed lane departure risk. Uh, and the final part with, uh, sorry, uh, chapter within this is the uh, road safety for regional and remote areas. So we get quite a bit of uh, information in there. Some key points associated with part two that I thought we should raise in this webinar is this 
updated information around reactive and proactive approaches to crash prevention and risk identification. We're in a really exciting, interesting time within our industry in moving and transitioning from a very reactive based road safety mentality, uh, waiting for crashes to happen to show us where the risk lay on the network, uh, to a proactive approach, a, a whole of system, systematic uh, look at risk on the network, which may or may not have presented itself with crashes. Now you could pick any analogy here, there, uh, and there are rafts of analogies that people use to sort of describe this point. I, I thought I might for, for this one use the um, flammable cladding of building analogy, which uh, some people have, have used before. And sort of the reactive approach, uh, you know, could be seen as which buildings have caught fire and caused um, uh, harm to uh, occupants uh, and waiting to, for the risks to present themselves in that way. Uh, a, a more proactive approach is to identify that there is inherent risk uh, and to rectify systematically across any building with the flammable cladding to rectify it. We don't need to see people die or be seriously injured for us to know risk presents itself. And the analogy falls back to the road network quite nicely, where we know the risk characteristics of roads uh, without having to wait for them to present themselves in death and serious injury to our community. And if we're genuine about a safe system approach, we're looking holistically at transformation of the network uh, and uh, eliminating or absolutely minimising risk uh, through systemic approaches rather than this isolated point approach. So there is good information in there about the proactive approaches to road safety to which we're really transitioning as an industry. There is still reactive road safety methodology in there. It's still playing a part in our road safety programs and our identification of risk. So a lot of information has been rolled over, updated a bit, but it still presents quite a bit of information on reactive road safety methodologies. So it is certainly still there. There's information about crash data sources, codes, uh, technology used to collect uh, road crash data and some of the new technologies available, uh, methods for identifying crash risk locations, both in a reactive and proactive sense, uh, diagnosis of, um, uh, sorry, treatment selection, updated crash modification factor or crash reduction factor uh, factors in there and multiple treatment uh, calculations. Um, updated information on economic appraisal of road safety. So certainly the um, old benefit cost ratio is still presented in there to show how that works. Uh, but then there are more contemporary methods uh, for economic appraisals associated with road safety uh, presented in the updated guide here. Things like um, cost per serious casualty uh, saved uh, as a different way to look at uh, some of the road safety investment. Uh, there's information about monitoring uh, and evaluation of projects in there uh, and evaluation techniques which go above and beyond the before and after crash uh, numbers. 
Uh, that can be a, a very meaningless thing from a statistical perspective if you have an individual site and are looking at crashes before and crashes afterwards. And you talk to any statistician about the um, challenges you'd have in proving statistical rigor in something like that. Uh, so there's discussion about how you would monitor uh, road safety interventions, road safety infrastructure interventions uh, from that site perspective using uh, proxies such as speed, for example, as a proxy for um, expected benefit in a road safety sense. There's new information on harm minimisation at intersections and high-speed lane departures, and a lot of information has been drawn from that compendium of, of current knowledge that I mentioned before. This diagram has been put into uh, part two, and this was worked on quite a bit by the working group uh, and uh, David Bobberman as well uh, had a lot of input to this, and we we sort of fleshed it out and discussed it. And, and it's road safety uh, in the road system management process. And so across the top here, you can see the different um, aspects of uh, sort of the management of, of a road there. And you can see there we've got the network and corridor planning, we've got the program development, we've got the um, uh, project, once you're into projects, uh, the uh, scoping and development, the implementation once you're into building, and then the network operations. And so you can see just sitting under those main headings a few sort of key aspects to this, where we have the network safety planning and their strategic assessments. And the network safety planning is something that's uh, you know going to continue to build uh, as we go uh, within this space uh, and something um, that there's been a lot of work done in, on in recent years. Uh, it's investment options and prioritisation in the program development. Uh, and you can see uh, uh, things sitting underneath this. And I'll just point out a few of those. I'm not going to delve into each one of those. But the safe system assessment framework in sort of that program to project uh sort of area is really emerging within Australia and New Zealand as a wonderful methodology to assess sort of which are the best options on projects uh, to, in their alignment with safe system principles and to drive better alignment with safe system principles in infrastructure projects. Um, and so the safe system uh, assessment framework, again, another document produced by Austroads, um, project managed by Colin Brody there from New Zealand uh, is something that's really, you know, been integrated into, into this part. However, there's still more um, delving into that that could be done. Uh, once we're into that uh, project scoping development, uh, we see some of the uh, project design, but this is where we're getting the support from road safety audits, uh, the detailed designs, business cases and the like. Into construction, again, road safety audits providing that uh, independent uh, road safety assurance, post opening, uh, construction, uh, temporary traffic management, uh, and uh, evaluations. And when we were into operating the road network, uh, we have a, a raft of different sort of things that are being used, um, including some of the, uh, the planning tools that we talk about right back at the start here, where we see things like um, the, uh, the use of IRAP, the International Road Assessment Program, so that methodology where we can star rate the safety 
uh, of a road, just like we can star rate the energy efficiency of your fridge or your uh, dryer. Uh, we can do the same for roads based on established, uh, proven uh, research and understanding of risk. Um, and uh, again, movement and place in that network corridor planning and also down the end in network optimization. Underneath this, you can see the uh, uh, sort of mapping to different parts of the Austroads guides. Uh, and this is across not just the guide to road safety, but the guide to road design, the guide to traffic management, the guide to temporary traffic management. So it provides you a nice little map of where things, uh, where things are. Some real opportunities uh, as we continue to build uh, and, and frequently update these parts, which is what we want to be seeing, frequent updates as uh, information and research comes online. Uh, big opportunities in the intelligent transport system, vehicle to infrastructure technology and that sort of roads that cars can read style thinking where we're designing, managing and operating roads for cars of the future that are more and more reliant on uh, different telecommunications uh, and what they're viewing uh, and mapping on the road network. Uh, so more in-depth uh, info on some of those road risk methodologies, such as the International Road Assessment Program, IRAP, uh, and, and others. Uh, further refinement of the safe system assessment process. So due to its huge popularity uh, and, and, and quite a lot of use of this methodology uh, as an independent sort of assessment of infrastructure, uh, the original document, there's been uh, you know, some different interpretations of things and some areas that could uh, use a bit more clarification and refining. And there's a big opportunity for Austroads to move into that uh, space. Uh, and certainly also looking around um, accreditation systems uh, and uniformity across the process in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, safe roads for motorcycles, we do believe is still a, a really important uh, area for further research, investigation. Uh, when doing things like safe systems, sort of road mapping into the future and uh, you know, envisaging states uh, where we have uh, zero or close to zero death and serious injury on the road network, motorcycles present a specific challenge there in a system that aligns with safe system principles. So we need to continue as an industry to research, to innovate, to push the, uh, the boundaries here. And then we need to get that information into these guides as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, and further linking to different uh, parts of the other guides like the Guide to Road Design series. I'll pause there and remind you that uh, we would love to have your questions. We've got some time allocated at the end, so please type your questions in as we're going uh, and we'll see how many we can get through. If you are uh, referring to a specific slide, uh, the numbers are in the bottom corner there, so please um, add that and it'll just help us. All right. Uh, I'll just briefly run through uh, part three, which is now safe speed. Uh, it was the old speed limits and speed management part, part three. So there's uh, alignment there. And, and this one is uh, yeah, taking, I suppose, some of the information from that part, updating it, uh, making it contemporary, uh, and also taking information from part five.
And in this one, we see that there's uh, the table of contents sort of covers uh, are after things there, speed and harm. Uh, so more information in there around uh, biomechanical tolerances of the human body uh, and what we can expect from that. Uh, we've got uh, speed behaviour in roads, the case for safer speeds, um, ways to manage speeds, uh, speed, and then it delves into speed limits uh, and how to choose the appropriate speed limits. Now, I do flag though that this is not um, this is not superseding uh, jurisdictional speed limit guidelines or the Australian standard. It provides sort of more generic uh, information around that. So uh, just be aware of that. And, and regional and remote areas again. So in there, there's the latest research on speed and harm and including serious injuries as well as fatalities into that. I suppose saying the latest research, there is some pretty exciting cutting edge stuff happening out of the Centre for Automotive Safety Research over in Adelaide. Sanduki and friends are doing some wonderful stuff there and that, that hasn't um, been integrated into this part yet, but it's certainly something that I think presents that opportunity for uh, that rapid update to these sorts of parts as that is published uh, and integrated uh, and accepted by, by Austroads. Um, information on why people speed and why some some do not see it as uh, an issue. So that risk perception this delves into that and a bit of uh, human factors, human behaviour style stuff. Um, there's an extensive list of studies demonstrating the amount of casualty reduction that can be achieved with safer speeds and, and a whole list of studies of areas that have had speed limits, regulatory speed limits reduced and the resultant crash, uh, serious and fatal crash outcomes and vice versa. So a whole lot of studies where the speed limit has been raised and the resulting impact on death and serious injury. And it's you know a really compelling case there that a regulatory speed limit reduction has an effect. Uh, and it presents in lots and lots of real world studies. So something that people can grab and use uh, for building their case around uh, speed limits changes. There's some commentary around uh, travel time, productivity, uh, ways to manage speed, uh, including infrastructure and non-infrastructure techniques. Uh, and, and it starts to look into that interlinking between vehicles, uh, people, the road and the regulatory speed limits and, and some touching on enforcement uh, and behaviour alteration techniques. Opportunities in this space, well, I mean, we, uh, we, we would love to see harmonisation of speed zoning guidelines across Australia and New Zealand. It's sort of the, the utopia we all hope for. So many challenges associated with that, but I think this is where we can continue to press on here. Variable speed limits, something the technology um, continues to get better and better and we can the application of that can be quite exciting uh, and so opportunities for more of that information um, in vehicle speed management and a big one here, the community consultation in speed limit setting. Super challenging, controversial issue and many of you I know are at the coalface of this and any help and information and strategies and tricks and 
techniques would be warmly welcomed. So at this point, I'm going to hand back to uh, Tanner, who's going to take you through part four and part five. And I'll briefly pop back at the end to talk about part seven and answer hopefully some of your wonderful questions uh, that you're going to be putting into the Q&A. Thank you very much, Ken. I'm just going to be walking you through uh, part four now, which is uh, the focus is on safe people. So part four is an am amalgamation of the old part five and part eight, which are basically road safety for rural and remote areas, as well as treatment of crash location. Um, there are a number of um, key contents in, uh, in this part, and it is shown on the screen. Um, I'm aware that um, that there are quite a number of questions and I'd like to uh, be able to address those questions. So I'll whip root through the key contents for this part, uh, as you can see it on the screen, as well as refer to them in um, the part four um, section of the AGRS. Um, some of the key points that I would like to point out though, um, that part four does contain a summary of risk for high, uh, high risk road user demographics. Um, it does also include some updated information about uh, how road users process information. It is primarily focused on drives at the moment. Um, but I will touch on this briefly next slide. It does also include an up, uh, updated as well as new information about road user error, uh, information on drivers and driver distractions. That is, what is it that distracts drivers, how they're distracted, and also the results of these uh, distractions. And lastly, information about human factors involved in post-crash care outcomes. So this part is quite short. It's only about 30 pages long. And uh, as we are updating the, uh, the AGRS and restructuring it, we notice that there are quite a number of opportunities that uh, could be investigated to, um, to generate research for inclusion into this part. Um, and I'll go through some of them briefly here. Um, human factors, um, fatigue awareness, how do people recognize fatigue and how do they address it, for example? Um, we could also include sections on inattention versus attention as well as alertness and inalertness. Uh, I know that's not a word yet, but I guess I am creating a word from that now. Um, so understanding how people, um, how drivers specifically, um, perceive alertness and intention and how they interact with each other, basically. Um, human factors within vehicles. So for example, how drivers interact with the ever increasingly complex uh, ADAS systems within cars. Um, there's a lot of technology that's been brought onto cars nowadays, such as front of collision warning system and braking system, rear collision warning and automated braking system as well. And nowadays we're also seeing cars with turning um, collision avoidance systems. Uh, what are the limitations here and how do uh, drivers who are, may not be used to these uh, features, how do they interact with them and do they make good use of them as well? Um, we could also go into human factors within the road environment. For example, how do you, uh, road users, that is bicyclists, pedestrians, as well as drivers of various types of classes of vehicles, how do they interact with uh, self-explaining roads? How do they perceive them um, in general? And are there any significant differences uh, from these road users? Um, licensing education, um, we could include information on graduate licensing systems, um, licensing systems for various class of vehicle drivers, and also identifying areas where licensing needs may not necessarily be met with current systems such as that for trike riders. Um, could also go into um, the more vulnerable road users such as motorcyclists as well as bicyclists. 
the types or classes of motorcyclists and as well as bicyclists. They're not actually a homogenous uh, class of individuals. Um, we could also go into the uh, personal protective equipment that's available for both of these vulnerable road users, as well as um, crash testing uh, standards for the various types of PPEs that are available to these vulnerable road users. Um, and last item here that I'd like to point out as well that we could go into uh, for future research is agile people in terms of their, how they find uh, less how they find the process to obtain licenses, especially those who do live in remote and rural areas, as well as their access to, um, to safe transport systems. Um, part five is on safe vehicles, and it's in an amalgamation of the old part three, part five, and part eight. Um, this part is quite a short part, uh, so these are key contents here. Uh, for this particular part, I note that it's only about 20 pages long. And again, this is probably very much reflective on the Australia's Guide to Road Safety, being very much focused on infrastructure uh, traditionally, um, and therefore there's a lot of scope for us to add uh, new research material and also perform uh, new research uh, for part four and part five. So part five, some key summary points uh, that we've included updated vehicle classes. There's also updated information about vehicle design characteristics, uh, fleet purchasing policies, crash ratings and how they work, and also how to promote uh, safer vehicle purchasing. Um, we've also included sections on the benefits of having active safety, um, such as, or active safety in vehicles specifically, such as electronic stability control, intelligent speed assist, landed departure warning, and quite a number of, of other active safety features. And we've also included some information on autonomous vehicles. However, as, uh, we, as with part four, there's a number of opportunities that we can uh, get onto with regards to expanding this section and make it more contemporary. Uh, for example, in uh, the section on passenger vehicles, we could also include a subsection on passive vehicle safety features, which are still in development, uh, such as airbags. Uh, these are still evolving, um, expanding on vehicle uh, active safety features. Uh, we have listed some of the key ones here already. Um, but certainly there's a lot more that's being developed at the moment um, and also expanding on the AMCAP and crash test protocols and what they will be requiring in the future uh, for five-star uh, vehicles. Um, we can also focus on heavy vehicles here. Um, currently there's not a huge amount of information that has been included to date um, and also safety vehicles that are applicable to heavy vehicles as well as that to, to uh, motorcycles. Um, autonomous vehicles are developing quite rapidly um, and we would also recommend a, a, this section be, well subsection rather, be expanded further to include items such as levels of autonomous vehicles, uh, more depth from of, of, uh, other publications as well as any authorised publications uh, that can summarise the uh, current state of the art of autonomous vehicles both within Australia as well as overseas and also identifying the uh, limitations of autonomous vehicles. Now, there was a question in the uh, chat section uh, asking where bicyclists and, um, and pedestrians would fit so they could quite easily fit under safe vehicles uh, as well as under safe people. So I'd like to hand back the presentation to Ken Beer, who is doing a, uh, an introduction to the next webinar, which is occurring in two days' time. Yeah, thank, thanks, Tana. Um, and I'll let you just control those slides. 
because uh, there's only one slide here which uh, talks a little bit about the uh, part seven. But in two days' time, there is a dedicated webinar on this part, delving into a lot of the detail. And we've got uh, Dr. Joanne Strandroth, uh, the uh, strategy lead at Safe System Solutions, who will be presenting uh, presenting that information. And we'll have an opportunity to delve into a lot more detail about some of the best practice approaches to road safety strategy development, um, sustained road safety achievement, uh, methods to you uh, such as backcasting methodology uh, to understand if we are genuinely aiming at zero, which we um, are aspiring towards, what would our system need to look like uh, and what steps do we need to take along that journey uh, to eliminate death and serious injury uh, at some point in the future. Uh, and it's certainly exciting to see a lot of commitment from road controlling authorities and the community and politicians for a zero date, uh, a data 2050, 2056, where we have eliminated death and serious injury in road transport. Now those commitments are sort of uh, sound, you know, ethically what we should be committing to, but how, how do we actually achieve that? What do we need to change? How does our system need to be altered to genuinely set something up that would achieve that. And those are the uh, things that uh, the next module will be will be tackling. Um, so in two days time, so I encourage you to log into that. Uh, and part seven starts us on that journey and provides a lot of the base level information. Another great part with lots of opportunity for further work to be done there. Another really important uh, aspect of part seven is the local government and community road safety integration uh, and acknowledgement. Uh, you know, nearly half of uh, the deaths and serious injury we see on road networks in Australia and New Zealand are on local government roads. So the um, ensuring that our local governments are supported, are resourced, um, uh, both in terms of financially, but also in capability and capacity to deliver the uh, required alterations to our system um, is so critical. And it's really highlighted and identified in part seven. And thanks also to our friends uh, at Abley in New Zealand, who provided a lot of input into, especially the local government uh, aspects of uh, this part and, and some of the other parts. So that's probably enough on that one, because there's a whole webinar on it, Anna, and I'm seeing some Absolutely fantastic questions coming in. With no way we're going to get to them all, but um, I'm sure we uh, can continue the conversation uh, with people offline. But uh, there's just a reminder that you can download the um, Austroads Guide to Road Safety series uh, from the Austroads website, and there's a link uh, in there in the downloadable PowerPoint uh, that you can go to. So, is it at this point, Tanner, we take some. Uh, Take some questions. Yep, absolutely can. So um, as Ken mentioned, there are quite a number of questions that have been sent in. So thank you very much for all your questions. We may not be able to get to all of them um, uh, in this session. However, we will certainly respond to all of them uh, offline. So those who haven't had their, answers question, uh, their questions answered, uh, we will get back to you offline. So um, I'm going to select a few questions here. One of them was with regards to motorized mobility devices. 
uh, and where does that fit? This is actually a really good question and an ongoing question that the uh, uh, National Transport Commission has been addressing. And uh, this would certainly go into the uh, part four and part five as we've updated. So again, really good question. And this is an item that we will uh, include for future updates. Um, there also, uh, so I'm gonna select a, another question. There was one with regards to um, a credit slide 27. If we can just go to that slide, Ekaterina, if you've got control of the slide deck. So the question here is, uh, you refer to the accreditation system. Can you please elaborate on what these accreditation would be? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. Uh, so I briefly mentioned their accreditation of safe system assessors um, as a possible future thing to be looking at. We know there are quite a few challenges, so challenges associated with road safety auditor uh, training, uh, accreditation, competency, ability to work in other jurisdictions. Um, and that, you know, road safety audits have been around for uh, near on 30 years in Australia and New Zealand now. And so we've got this legacy of challenges associated with that. Safe system assessments, on the other hand, are emerging. They're very new um, in comparison. Uh, and we have the ability to, I suppose, cut off similar challenges and problems in terms of uniformity of um, proof of competency of assessors, uh, training, uh, uh, training syllabus, um, and the ways that we house that information. It presents an, an interesting opportunity uh, as an industry uh, in the safe system uh, assessment space. And it also links a little bit there, Tanner, with one of the other questions I noticed in there, which was asking about part six and part six A, which are the road safety audit uh, parts of the guide. Now, those were not included in this particular project, but there is a, another project currently underway by Austroads, uh, which um, is to consolidate part six and part six A, Road safety uh, management, road safety audits, and the uh, and road safety auditing into one uh, guide, and and that is at the pointy end of that. I know Paul Hillier's uh, just dotting eyes and crossing T's at the moment on that on that one, um, and there is um, a lot of uh, interlinking between the material being produced there and the other parts of the guide. So it is it is going to be consistent and slot in beautifully uh, within this series, but it, it has not been released just yet, but um, hopefully in the very near future, we will be seeing that uh, that updated uh, guide coming out. Fantastic, thank you very much, Ken. And thanks for the uh, the audience members well, who put that great question in there. There's another question that's popped up on uh, vehicles. Uh, so if, uh, I'll just address this one. Uh, really, really good question as well. So the question is, on slide 27, why do we need roads that cars can read? That is, it's a new expenditure when Tesla's vision-based system will soon read roads and drive better than human. Fantastic question. Um, so I'll answer this in a few uh, different ways. So one is, uh, not all cars have the same cap capability of reading roads. They're all basing on slightly different algorithms and, um, and processing systems. Uh, some will be able to read the edge of a road, while others were very much reliant on line markings. So as we have a, a multitude of different systems that cars deploy and manufacturers deploy, we're going to need to consider how they all interact with the road system. 
uh, in the future. Uh, I don't think the industry is moving towards one single agreed uh, methodology um, and, and system. So until that point at which that occurs, we are going to be working alongside manufacturers uh, to understand what their vehicle systems need in order to read, uh, in, in order to read the road. And hence, this comes back down to the uh, overlapping circles of the uh, four safety pillars as well that we do need to uh, interact more. And also, I encourage readers again to read all four uh, pillars or parts interchangeably. So again, great question. Thank you for sending that one in. Um, okay. On um, there's another question here with regards to how. Okay, I'll read this one out, Ken. It's probably best that way because uh, it's very well um, put. How do we change the attitudes of old school traffic engineers and design managers to consider proactive approaches? Yeah, I mean, I think we uh, we're seeing that transition across industry. Uh, there are some really good uh, evaluations of things like uh, black spot programs and the like, which uh, showed really wonderful benefits uh, where there were, uh, at a time, uh, where there were uh, really huge numbers of crashes at a single location, which sort of transpired to uh, an understanding that there was an inherent infrastructure risk there. And so the traditional sort of traffic engineering style uh, approach or road safety engineering style approach to that was very valid and, and a really good way to identify those areas of risk in that reactive sense. As we, um, and, and the, you know, the, the past um, road safety engineers and, and others have done a wonderful job in, in ironing out some of those specific point locations where there has been an inherent infrastructure risk. And, and, and we, you know, we're all very thankful for that. And, 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 and many people have been involved in those sort of reactive black spot programs in the past and they, and they served a great uh, purpose. Now where we're sort of transitioning to a time where we're seeing uh, more dispersed crashes across the network um, along a route uh, and they don't have as much of that uh, particular clustering uh, and still a bit of that occurs and that's why there's still that continuing of that um, reactive approach in, in the guides. So I think as we, um, you know, display this uh, evaluation, this rigorous research and data and, and proof that the sort of proactive approaches are going to help us achieve that, uh, we will bring along uh, the, you know, highly intelligent uh, people uh, that are the, um, you know, traditional traffic engineers uh, and the like in this space uh, because the data, the evidence, the research is there and it shows a, a wonderful story of a, uh, a systematic change to our network uh, in an infrastructure sense. Fantastic, thank you Ken for answering that question and again thank you for the uh, uh, the audience member who put that question into us. Um, I've got one other question Ken, this is uh, related to uh, road types and speeds. Um, it does relate to slide 25 which is the proactive approach however we might be able to answer this without that slide come up just yet. The question reads, will the guidelines go as far as adopting the road types of the Netherlands, that is 30 kilometers hour mixed traffic, 50 kilometer hours with fully separate bike lanes and 100 kilometers uh, per hour for motorways. Yeah, so this is a real uh, interlinking between part uh, two, part three, and then you know, overlaps between some of the, uh, the vehicles and the people certainly as well. 
yeah, I suppose it's not um, put in in that sense into these parts uh, at this stage. The the general philosophy sort of presented uh, in there and something that uh, we'd like to, to see. And they're, and they're kind of nice speeds to have been picked there uh, to demonstrate uh, that due to the fact that they interlink with the biomechanical tolerance levels we know for different uh, crash types and road environments. You'll remember though, uh, we also talked about the further integrating uh, and consideration of movement and place and that strategic planning of a road network with the safe system objectives. And, and, and they are absolutely hand in hand. And we can manage and create um, in road environments that align very highly with safe system principles at a variety of speeds. They have implications on the livability, uh, on the function of that road, but we can certainly do it. We can create a road environment uh, at 100 kilometres per hour that is highly aligned with safe system principles. But you wouldn't want to be trading, interacting, socialising in those environments. It's not a livable environment from that perspective. And down the other end, we can create very highly aligned safe system environments. The speeds are very, very low. And again, you're not going to have that as your major freight route where you're trying to move traffic through there um, at high speed uh, or even move high speeds of cyclists uh, through those areas. So the, that intertwining uh, of uh, movement in place or one network approaches and the safe system uh, and, and our sort of strategic network planning all hand in hand and we can continue to provide uh, further guidance in this. So it, it starts that journey uh, quite well in these documents but there's a long way for us to go as an industry uh, and uh, inclusion in the guides. Great, fantastic. Again, uh, question as well. Uh, thank you very much, Ken, for the uh, the response that you provide on that and where the future of the guides can lean towards and uh, and better explain the safe system. Um, I'm just uh, watching time at, now, at the moment. Uh, we're just coming up to the hour again. I'm just going to hand this uh, back to Ekaterina, who will just wrap this up. Again, thank you very much for everyone who's uh, submitted your questions. And for those who, whose questions who we've not got to here online, we will address them uh, offline. Uh, and Ekaterina, back to you. Thanks so much, Ken and Tana. Uh, thank you for your great work on this project. Uh, and thanks everybody for sending through your questions. We definitely have uh, a few left and we will collate them all in one document and email you after the uh, session. So I just have a couple of slides left before we let you go. Um, a few words about our next webinar. So uh, as already Ken and Tana said, on the 26th um, of uh, August, join us for the second session in this series. And we will focus on part seven, uh, which contains guidance on contemporary approaches to road safety strategy development and road safety management. Uh, we are also co-hosting the Australasian Road Safety Conference 2021, which will run uh, online from the 28th to the 30th of September. So find out more information on our website. Uh, and we just confirmed uh, uh, an exciting webinar, which we will host in October, uh, Cycling for Sustainable Cities, uh, where we will explore how to make um, city cycling safe, practical and convenient. 
So visit our website to register for those sessions. Um, and uh, just one last thing, um, as we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. It really helps us uh, to know what you liked, what you didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Uh, once again, today's session is being recorded and we will let you know when the link is available on our website. Um, thanks again, uh, everyone. Um, stay safe uh, and well and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time. Thank you. See ya.